Hold on, I gotta shut my door. My dog opened it, and I don't want the cats to come flying in here. Are you a busy Ruby developer who wants to take their freelance business to the next level? Interested in working smarter, not harder? Then check out the upcoming book, Next Level Freelancing, Developer Edition. Practical steps to work less, travel more, and make more money. It includes interviews and case studies with successful freelancers who have made a killing by expanding their consultancy, developed passive income through informational products, built successful SaaS products, and become rockstar consultants making a minimum of $200 an hour. There are all kinds of practical steps on getting started, and if you sign up now, you'll get 50% off when it's released. You can find it at nextlevelfreelancing.com. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 45 of the Ruby Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Eric Davis. I have tea to drink. And I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week, we're going to be talking about the risks of freelancing versus full-time development. The general idea is that I, I get a lot of people, they, you know, we talk to them, and basically the, the idea is is that they're like, well, I, I would go freelance because it looks like you get a lot of perks, but I, I just can't stand the risk. And to me, it just doesn't feel as risky. So we're going to talk about that, talk about, you know, some of the, the what's and why's and maybe why freelancing is or isn't as risky as being full, a full-time employee. Um, and, and, you know, some of the other things that are related to that. So I, I'm a little curious, Eric, what is your kind of employment history? I worked when I was in high school, you know, just normal high school type jobs, went to college, did some college jobs, like, you know, delivered pizza, that sort of thing. And then right out of college, went to work for a software company and actually got started there, um, in technical support, then went to testing and then went to software development. So I was like moving through and by the end of it, I was doing, Desktop software development wasn't doing the mobile at the time. Um, a lot of all, did all the web development, managed all their servers, managed their network, and so I like had my hand in a lot of pies by there. Then after that, we moved and I started my own company. Wow! After college, you worked for one company and then went f- uh, freelance. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I in college, um, I'd say freshman year, maybe sophomore year ish. I got heavy into like reading about entrepreneurship and all that, and actually started two or three businesses um, where I didn't know what I was doing. And basically looking back at it now, I was like, it was stupid for me to do those, but I learned enough at that time and figured out that I like running my own business. And so basically the most of the jobs that I had were just stop gaps to pay the bills and to, to learn more until I was actually felt confident enough that I could actually run my own company. Yeah, that makes sense. So my work history is somewhat similar. You know, I, I worked in high school too. I, you know, worked at grocery stores as baggers and checkers and whatever. I think I did some call center jobs too in high school. And then in college, when I was in college, I actually started out doing custodial and I met a guy who was working for the co- the university in the IT department. And so he went and told me who to talk to and where to apply. So um, I went and applied and worked in the network operations center at BYU. That's Brigham Young University in Provo is where I went to school. And uh, I worked there for like two or three years. And then um, the server management team that, you know, set up the servers for the different departments as well as maintained them um, at the low, at the OS level. They, they, uh, my friend had been hired over there. So he stuck his neck out again and got me hired over there. 
So by the time I graduated, I had been doing IT for probably four or five years. And, and I got a job working for a company out here called Mosey. They do online backup. And I was, I was hired on as the second tech support guy. And then um, as things evolved, I eventually wound up running the tech support department. I had about 30 techs working under me. And uh, so I was kind of on the track to go into ban- management. And um, while I was there, we were we asked them, and, and they were in pretty, you know, they were in startup m- mode, and so every penny counted. And so what happened was we asked them for tools because we'd gotten covered in the Wall Street Journal and the company was growing like crazy. And uh, they, you know, they sometimes success is is both a blessing and a curse. And it was very much the case there. They they just couldn't. They they were spending all their money trying to keep up with demand, and so they didn't buy the tools. So we started programming them on our own, and that's how I really got into programming. I graduated in computer engineering, so I had done coding, but most of my focus in college was on hardware. So anyway, I did that for a while, and so I was both building the tool and uh, managing and training the tech support. And uh, the company got acquired. I got tired of it the politics. And so I moved into QA because the politics were much more bearable there because you were just a tech doing a job over there. And at the same time, I was hoping that it'd get me into management or into programming. So I was there for six months, put out some job or some applications. Um, I got an offer for a programming job. So I went there and uh, I bounced from that job I liked that job, that, but they ran out of Rails work, so they laid me off. So I went and worked at another company for a year, and I hated them. Um, so I started looking around for another job, wound up working with David Brady um, at a company up in Salt Lake City. And I was there for about six or seven months, and then they laid me off. So, And, and the reason that any of that's important is just because you, if you think about that, you're going to understand where my point of view is with full-time employment versus being freelance. Because I went freelance after that, and and things have worked out pretty nicely for me. So, that I I, th- I hope that kind of gives you an idea of where both of us are going to come from when we talk about this. Yeah, so- and I was going to say timeline wise for me, I think I think I worked at that software company for two years. It might have been three, and then I've been doing my business since I think two thousand seven. So that's about five years, like five and a half years right now. Mm-hmm. Yep, and I got laid off in two thousand eleven. In September of 2000, no, it might have been 2010, I don't remember, but it was one of those. So I've been freelance for a year and a half or two and a half years, however that works out. Anyway, so um, let, let's talk real quickly about the, the perks of being freelance before we talk about some of the risks. Uh, one perk that kind of made me go freelance and do that was if you work for a company, typically you're going to get experience in what that company does. And if you work for like a big company, like say IBM or whatever, you might be able to move departments if you want to change like what you worked on. Like, you know, they're going to have a server area. They're going to have stuff for web, stuff for mobile. But if you work at kind of a midsize or small company, most of those, they're so, they're, they don't do very much. They kind of specialize in what they do. So you're not going to have as much opportunity to get into like completely new areas. And so for me, um, the company I worked for, they basically, they did mobile stuff before smartphones were really out. And so they were heavy on the mobile and they had some desktop side. And so I got into the desktop side, even though I didn't know it. 
And I came into it as a web programmer. And so their web stuff was just basically like marketing sites. You know, there wasn't much to it. So my area of growth in the website was very, very capped. Like I couldn't do very much there. And so I grew into the desktop and, you know, the kind of the IT infrastructure. And so after I left there, I was like going to look for another job. And I decided like, well, I'm going to, I'll try freelancing, see what I can do. And the whole point, and I had this written down somewhere too, was I wanted to work with a bunch of different companies so that I have exposure to different companies, different company products, different uh, like software development processes, tools, different team styles, all that to kind of get an idea of what worked, what didn't work and kind of get more like a more broader experience than I've worked in mobile games for five years or something. And so that's kind of the, I guess the underlying draw of freelancing for me is that you can work with a variety of different people, teams, processes, and technologies. And it can change from month to month depending on how your clients are. Yeah, I've seen that too, though I have to say that in some of the places that I worked, I mean, they had a myriad, they had myriad uh, technologies and things that you could move around in. When I was doing QA at Mosey, um, I mean, their back end was written in one technology and worked off of certain principles. And then their front end technologies with the, the web interfaces and then the the clients for you know sending files back to the back end you know all of those were different and so you could get a pretty good mix however what you're saying as far as development goes yeah the same guys were working the same uh layers all the time and so if you were if you were a windows client guy you were working the windows client you weren't touching the mac client you weren't touching the the back end you weren't touching the restores capabilities or anything like that Right. And if you ever, like, if you want to go from the Windows to the Mac side, you could, but you'd have to start over and it would be, you know, a multi-year process Whereas with freelancing, you can kind of do that transition a bit faster, just depending on picking up a new client. Yeah. The second job was also, uh, I was working for a consulting firm. And so you kind of get that a little bit, but you don't get the say as to when you move on. You don't get the say as to which projects you get put on. And, and that's one of the nice things about the freelance being freelance is you get to pick. Um, you know, I mean, if, if you only have one person asking you to work for them and, uh, you need the money, then I guess you don't really get to pick. But most of the time you can kind of gear your marketing and things toward things that you want to be involved in. And, uh, you know, you, you ultimately have the say as to whether or not you take the job wherein the, the consulting firm you really don't. But yeah, the rest of my jobs, it was, you know, it was one, one app, one large app. And, you know, you could get as much variation as the technology allowed and the needs of the company permitted. So yeah, I totally agree with you there. One of the other perks that I, I really like about being freelance is that I can work wherever I want, whenever I want. And, uh, I, I you know, I had some jobs that were kind of like that, but they mostly want you around when the, you know, when the rest of the team's in. And if, if you're freelance and you're working, a contract where it's just you or maybe just you and one or two other people, you can usually coordinate things so you can work whenever you want. Yeah, I mean, I get that to a limited extent. I have uh, like location flexibility, like as long as I have high-speed internet, I can work. But time flexibility is not as easy. Uh, most of my clients, you know, have meetings with them or, you know, they have different schedules. And so I kind of have to conform to their schedule for the most part. Um, there might be some things like I could do couple hours of development late at night if I need to take like an afternoon off, but I don't, I can't really like really time shift my things too much just because, um, I do a lot of really close one-on-one work with my clients. Yeah. I found that it depends on the client for me. So some of them, 
you know, they, they want to be able to call you in the middle of the day, or like you said, they'll have meetings and some of them, all they really want to do is dump requirements into a bucket. So that bucket could be your, uh, pivotal tracker or, uh, red mine or something. And then, um, they just want to see them cranked out on the other end. So the only real time sensitive thing is you clarifying those requirements. And most of the time you're working on one thing and clarifying requirements for something else. So you yeah, can stay I ahead of it that way. I had a client like that. He was actually based in Europe. So we had a really, you know, I'm what well, West Coast US. So it was, I can't remember the difference in time, but he, he would call me when he's ending his day, which would be early in my morning, or I, or I'd call him when I'm ending my day, which would be early his next day. And so we would use that to kind of plan stuff. But for the most part, he just basically had a bolted list of here's the order of things to do. And we just used email and stuff like that to kind of keep in touch about details. Yeah. And, and I found that that's kind of nice. I've been talking to a fellow in uh, Australia. And so early afternoon here is like first thing in the morning there. And so that's been kind of nice because he can get up and he can start the day by talking to me about some of the prospects that we're working on. And then, um, you know, he goes on his merry way and he's doing sales while I'm having dinner with my family and going to bed. And so it, it can work out kind of nicely to have that kind of a time shift. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it, I guess, like I said, it depends on your client, depends on how you have it structured, but you, you do get a lot more flexibility versus like you're in the office from nine to five. Mm -hmm. um, that is also one of the risks I think that come into freelancing a little bit because due to that time shift, you may or may not be the right fit, but I, I kind of want to start tying this back to full-time employment at the same time. If you're trying to get a full-time job, I mean, it's the same kind of deal. You're just trying to get hired full time instead of trying to get a, a contract. I'm kind. Am I am I mis misconstruing that at all? I'm I'm not sure what you're saying. So, for example, if if I'm eight hours off from somebody, um, that's about what it is from here to Europe. Then it may work out great for them, or you know, they may need that high touch Europe when I'm up. Um, you know, you're online when I'm online. And, and so it may not be a good fit, but it seems like it's kind of the same thing when, um, you're, you know, you're trying to get hired for a full-time job, you know, you have the same challenges. Yeah. And that's, I kind of look at it as when you're freelancing, it's not that you can work anytime you want and work anywhere you want. It's kind of a scale of how flexible are your time and your working environments. And because, you know, if you're working full time for an employer, they might be halfway across the world and they want you to work during your normal business hours, just like for support coverage. Or mm -hmm. you might be able to work for an employer remote where they don't care where you work as long as you work. And I mean, that's, that's kind of the corporate policies or whatever the company sets up. I just found in general, freelancers tend to have it skewed more towards more freedom than less freedom, which is more on the employer side. Yeah. Yeah, they kind of arrange things so that it meets their uh, desire for whatever level of freedom or flexibility they want. Um, I do want to jump into one of the other things that uh, a lot of people bring up, and that's that they have the security of a paycheck every week or every other week. And, um, you know, basically, well, that's the big one. And, you know, that they, they don't have to go and find new work are, are kind of the two big things. So how do you usually address that or how would you address that? A lot of times I don't because it's hard for people to kind of understand it. But the way I look at it is 
Um, I, I don't know if this is that term, but the at-will employment is kind of how like employment works in America where the employer or the employee can terminate the agreement at any time. And basically that means if you're a full-time employee, you could be fired for whatever reason. I mean, there are different laws like, you know, discrimination and stuff, but you could basically lose your job at any time. And when you're freelancing, you have the same thing. Like you could get fired by a client at any time for almost any reason. The main difference is when you're an employee, you're typically working for one company. Um, you might work for two companies if you're moonlighting or you have two part-time gigs, but for the most part, developers work full-time for a company. So that means that's very similar to a freelancer that works for one client full-time. Now that's, that happens a lot. I know a couple of freelancers that do that, but most freelancers kind of do multiple clients at any given time. So if one of their clients fires them, you know, they might have three or four other clients that they still are getting to work for. So it's, it's kind of like a diversification of kind of your income from, you know, employment and stuff like that. If you're an employee, all your eggs are in one basket with this company that hired you. When you're freelancing, you might have eggs in six different baskets based on your clients. Yeah, I do want to bring up a there are two things that I think you can kind of make an argument for full-time employment being more secure. I don't, I hate that word secure, but more, um, whatever secure, I guess, than freelancing. And the two things are basically these first, if they let you go, you can collect unemployment. And if you're a freelancer and they let you go, you're out of luck. You don't get unemployment. But like you said, you know, you can arrange things so that you know, for the most part, if you get, you know, if if you get, if you get, if you lose the contract, then you can move, move on to the other contracts that you already have. And hopefully you have other work in your pipeline. And so you can just, you know, you just make it up. It doesn't really affect you financially. The other thing is, is that I found that a lot of companies, unless the, the freelancer is adding a ton, ton of, uh, of value such that they're kind of the indispensable person on the team, the company the companies tend to be more likely to let the contractors go than their own employees go. But those are the only two things. And, you know, like you said, you know, the unemployment really, that that can be mitigated just by how, how well you market yourself. And uh, the other, there's really nothing you can do about it. Um, well, I mean, the other thing with unemployment, uh, I'm trying to remember the exact numbers because it's split in the U.S., but every employer pays, is it 7 no, every employee pays, I think, 7%. No, that's something else. Okay, never mind. That every employer pays unemployment insurance. So there's a, a cost of a, I don't know if it's a percentage or a flat rate or whatever. I can ask my wife, but. I think it varies they, from state to state. Yeah, I think it varies from state to state and also like industry to industry. And I mean, there's, it's, it's an insurance. I mean, so it's going to be completely case by case basis. But every employer pays for unemployment insurance. And basically what they're doing is that's money that, if you think about it, they're taking out of the employee's paycheck. Like the, they could have given that to the employee, but they're not because they're required by law to pay it. So basically an employee is getting this insurance policy that if you get unemployed, you're going to get some benefits. And in exchange for that, they're getting a lower amount of income. Right. So if you look at it like that, as a freelancer, you don't, the, your client's not paying for unemployment insurance. So they're giving you if the full amount of the money. What you should do if you want to mimic that is you should take a certain amount of money and put that into a savings account as your own unemployment insurance. And we've talked about this as the emergency fund. And realistically, like that's, 
if you do that, then there's basically no difference between the two. If I remember unemployment insurance, you, you don't get much of a bonus other than what the uh, the employers paid. Like I think the state or whatever, they don't add very much value to it. It's all the employer that's paying you. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, that's almost a moot point. I mean, unless you have no savings and you don't have like, uh, you know, you don't have any kind of financial thing built up to do that, then okay, maybe that unemployment benefit could be something good, but that's like a, that's a worst case. I mean, if you're really trying to do a good job, you shouldn't get in, you shouldn't get fired or let go unless the company's going under. And if they go under that, I don't know if they even pay their unemployment insurance at all. Yeah. I think, I think if they uh, go out of business or, you know, I, I don't know if they can bankrupt their unemployment responsibilities, but yeah, if, if they're not in business anymore, then they're not paying that anymore. So, yeah, so the, it, that's interesting. I didn't really think about all of those different considerations, but, but yeah, so, um, I mean, there's, there's one benefit I can think of for being an employee instead of a freelancer. And personally, I don't agree with it, but I can see it actually working that way is if you're a kind of a coast along type employee where you're not doing a lot of great work, you know, 501, 501, you clock out. As an employee, you can kind of ride that for a significant amount of time, if not your entire life. As a freelancer, you can't because you probably are charging a lot more and the client's looking for results. And if they see that this freelancer is just coasting along, they'll fire them. So that's kind of a benefit I could see for the full-time employment side, but that's not really something to be proud of, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with that. And I've, I've seen it. I've seen people who are, you know, they're just there to collect a paycheck. And, uh, you know, if they actually get work done, well, bonus for the company. So, yeah, that that's definitely something there. The, the other thing that I hear some people talk about is like health benefits and things like that. But again, I mean, I found that uh, I make enough more as a freelancer to be able to just pay for my own benefits. Yeah. And I mean, I we have our own personal plan, too. Like we're not on a group policy or anything. And we actually compared what what we're paying and what benefits we get to my wife's plan and her employer, they do a pretty good amount. I mean, I haven't seen any other employer that pays as good of benefits and our personal plan was still a better value for us. And I mean, on the other side, it's, I don't know how it's changing, but in the U S there's a lot of changes with the medical and insurance stuff that, you know, if this could change in a year and if you want to base a long-term career decision on, just the cost of things, like you kind of need to take a look at that because that could actually really affect your decision. If, you know, I've heard that it's going to go to a complete open thing where there really isn't group plans. And if that's the case, then, you know, that whole benefit of being an employee goes away. Yep. Yeah. It's a little different for me because I have a, a chronic, uh, I have type two diabetes. And so when I tried to switch onto another plan, all the insurance companies kind of went, whoa, 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 whoa. But, uh, you know, I mean, I'm paying, I'm paying the state for my uh, health insurance. My wife is paying, you know, we we're paying for my wife and kids to be on their plan. And, and, uh, you know, it's, I think we're paying less than they were taking out of my check at, at any of my other jobs for, for all that coverage. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's really interesting, you know, to see, see that. So, I mean, really what it seems to come down to for most people when, when you really talk them through this is whether or not they think they can market and sell. Yeah. And I mean, in case someone doesn't know, my wife's in HR. She's been in HR for longer than I've been doing development. And so I see a lot of the, you know, 
like the employer-employee side, but from what the actual employers are doing. And basically, it if you really sit and think a business isn't going to hire an employee unless hiring that employee costs them less than the employee brings in as far as additional revenue. So if you are an employee, you know, you're, you could kind of think like, I'm bringing in this much for the company. If you're bringing in that much, in theory, as a freelancer, you could charge less than that and make the company a profit and possibly make more than your actual employee salary. So, I mean, it's, you have to look at the full relationship of, you know, being an employee, being an employer and the market that all this is in. Yeah. And it does vary from market to market. I've heard different markets, you know, say different things. Um, I think the rule of thumb I hear the most often is that the employee should make the company a hundred percent more than the company is paying for them. But yeah, I, I think it really varies by, by industry and company. Yeah. I think it's double cause it's at least 15% direct for, um, social security, stuff like that benefits, I think at about a 50%. And so then, you know, you're looking at maybe 20 or 30% more for kind of the profit side of it. And so, yeah, I would, I would say double is pretty where, pretty much close to where you can think of. Yeah. And so, I mean, when it comes right down to it, if, if freelancers didn't work out for companies, and this is the other thing that I think people don't really get is that they've, they've only worked for companies that only ever hired employees. But if freelancers didn't work out for the companies that hired them, then we wouldn't be able to find work. And so there, there is a benefit there. And really what it comes down to is you've got to provide the service and make it worth it to the companies that hire you to, you know, to effectively pay for your work. And if you can do that on a consistent basis, then you've got a business and, and people are happy to pay you for that. Yeah. I mean, it's a value justification. Like, you know, sure, you might cost, say, $100 and only make the company 50 but you're not going to be able to operate for very long like that because word about you know, that you're not worth the hundred dollars is going to get around. But, you know, if you charge a company a hundred dollars and make them a thousand dollars, you're going to be swamped with work. Like you're, you're going to be fighting people away with sticks. Yep, absolutely. And the other thing that I, I want to make sure that I iterate to a lot of people who are, who are talking about some of this stuff, you know, just, just drive home is that you're not going to be the perfect fit for every company. And so some people think, well, I went out and I tried to get, you know, some moonlighting business or something and they wouldn't hire me. Well, you know, maybe you're not great at sales. Maybe you're just, you know, you're not a good fit for that company. Um, you, you just got to keep working it. And, uh, you know, don't don't fool yourself because the benefits you get from being a freelancer come from hard work. And uh, hard work is hard. So you know, you, you go out and you do the sales and you do all the marketing and you do everything else that you have to do, plus serve your clients. And, you know, sometimes that takes a lot of time and it's tough. And other times, you know, it really pays off and you can kick back for a little bit. And it just depends on um, how you structure things and how you want to make things work. But the cool thing is you can pretty well set things up to match the lifestyle you want. You just have to figure out how to give enough people what they want. And then, you know, how to manage the money and other things so that you can get what you want. Yeah. I mean, and that's kind of a fear I know a lot of people have is like, they might know the technical skill of like, you know, writing Ruby or working in rails, but they don't know the business skills. And so they're like, I don't know how to do accounting. I don't know how to market myself. And that those are valid points and that's valid fears. If you don't want to do freelancing. And 
I mean, I can't remember where I heard, but the rough number is that if you can bill 50% of your time as a freelancer and spend only 50% on the other things, like that's considered good. But realistically, like your technical skills, I mean, even programming and all that, those are all learned things. Like you can learn how to market, you can learn how to do sales, you can learn accounting. And like you said, it just takes hard work and time and you're going to screw things up here and there. But realistically, each time you screw it up, you're going to get better at it. And so that's something to kind of think about. And the nice thing is, I'm experiencing this right now, is as a freelancer, I can kind of balance the ratios of my things. So right now, I'm doing probably 80 or 90% of my time is for development. Like I'm really focused on some client work. And so I'm not doing much marketing. But, you know, if in a few months, if I decide like, okay, I want to do more marketing, I can put more emphasis on my marketing stuff, less on client work. And then, you know, typically, uh, November, December, I focus a lot on uh, accounting just because of tax season. But see, like I, I get to pick when I focus on different things. It's not um, a manager or someone else above me saying, okay, you're going to work on accounting all this next week. And then after that, you're going to work on marketing. It's like I actually have the choice and I can have a reason behind it. Yep. Yeah, I, I don't really know that there's anything else I want to add to that. I mean, you pretty well hit it right on the head. One one thing that I do want to say is that, you know, I'm I'm kind of focused on in the same proportions and I'm looking forward to when I can kind of, you know, transition into some of that other stuff that I need to get done. But for right now, you know, it's, it's paying off for me to spend 90% of my time focusing on, you know, doing programming for my client and then being able to spend the other 10%, you know, running my business and and making things work that way. So, yeah, well, there's two things I can think of, that even if freelancing might be like a good financial decision for you, um, you want to think about these things too. And they're, it's basically around, is it like a good personal decision? Uh, the first one, it's been, it talks, people talk about it in length about getting started with freelancing. So I'm just going to cover it quickly, but it's the idea of if you know you have work to do, are you kind of self-motivated enough to do the work or are you going to put it off to the last minute? And that comes back to, as an employee, typically you'll have a manager or someone above you that tells you what you need to do and you do it or you get yelled at. Well, with a freelancer, you have a little bit of that with clients, but you have to kind of direct and do the work yourself. And so if you're really good about, you know, that self-direction, freelancing could be good. If you're not, then freelancing might not be the right thing or you might need to work on, you know, changing your skills and your personality to have more of that self-direction. And that can include like you using some like getting things done or whatever. Yep. The other thing, which kind of like what we talked about um, a second ago, is if you're a curious person that wants to learn and know about anything and everything, uh, freelancing is really good for you because you'll get bored with something and want to jump and learn something new. So, you know, you might pick up Rails, you know, some Rails internals, and then you're like, okay, I'm bored with this. I want to learn some JavaScript, and then I'm bored with this. I want to le- learn a little bit about marketing. Um, that sort of thing, when you're a full-time employee, typically you have to do at night, um, or it takes a lot longer for you to kind of say, okay, I want to switch from, like you said earlier, like from the Windows programming to Mac programming. If you're a freelancer, you can pretty much just do that whenever you want, as long as you have the time to do it. So that's kind of, that's how I am. I'm curious about pretty much anything and everything in the world. And so freelancing works good for me because I can take that time out to try new ideas and explore and, you know, be curious. Yep, I I've seen that myself, you know, just just again that flexibility to okay, I'm interested in this, I want to do this, I want to learn this and, you know, you you figure out how to fit it in and 
Um, I mean, most of the time my clients are people who need my help um, and they need it in such a way to where, you know, I can actually work with them. You know, they're not, they're not, you know, driving me to work in a certain way or at a certain time for a certain amount of time. And so for the most part, you know, if I really want to pick something up, I can just do it. I just yeah, make, I mean, make the time and make it happen. Yeah. Like, uh, maybe nine months ago, I guess from right now, you know, do I've been doing Rails for a couple of years, but I'm like, I want to get more into JavaScript. So I spent a few months dabbling with some more JavaScript, more than what I've been doing and took a look at Knockout, played around with Knockout a bit. And then ended up like me dabbling and learning about Knockout was a big factor in winning one of the clients that I have right now. But if I never was curious about Knockout and just stayed just, you know, just in Rails, there's a chance that I wouldn't have worked for this client. Mm-hmm. Yep. So are there any other risks or impediments that people bring up to you um, regarding going freelance? Um, there used to be a risk when you were not necessarily freelance, but self-employed about like getting loans. So in the U.S., if you're trying to get a house, most banks won't lend to you unless your business has been around two years or so, or you have like a ton of cash on hand. And that's basically, I mean, it's a, it's a risk kind of criteria for the bank. Like if the company goes under and you lose your income, you won't make your mortgage. They'll have to take your house back. So that used to be the case. Um, I don't know if it's still as big of a factor as it used to be, say, 10 years ago, but that's kind of something to watch out for. Um, a way to kind of prevent that is to have a lot of cash or have good work history where it was nice and solid before that. And then the other thing is to just you know, run your business for more than two years. And that could be even running it on the side just to get the, the two years up and then do it full-time after that. One thing that we went through, because we... We bought this house when we when I was employed full time, but we refinanced it about a year after we after I went freelance, and so um, you know it wasn't as established as they wanted it to. But all they really asked me for was a copy of my uh, my bank statement, and they all they wanted to see in there was that I was getting deposits on a semi regular basis for enough money to cover the mortgage. And as soon as they had that information, it was not a problem. Yeah, I mean, I bought this house, I guess, halfway through my freelancing career. And basically, at, at that point, I think I had like two or three years of history. And I'm like, here's all my tax statements. Like, this is what I made. This is what I spent. And they looked at that, looked at my history. And also, I had, you know, we, we had a business and we also had a personal emergency fund that wasn't a lot, but it was a couple thousand. And so they looked at all that and they're like, okay, even if this business goes under or even if the business stops for like a quarter for some reason, this applicant still has cash on hand to pay the mortgage. And so they were completely fine with it. And it really wasn't an issue other than pulling together more documents from my accountant. Yep. One other thing that I want to bring up, this is more along the career track uh, as opposed to maybe some of the financial risks. But one thing that I've seen with freelancers is I've seen some go back to work, you know, they or go back to a quote real job, go back to full-time employment. And um, what it what I've seen happen is that they go back and they wind up being some of the, you know, whiz bang top employees that wind up at that company. And, and the reason is, is not because they're necessarily better programmers. In some cases, that's true. In some cases, I'm not sure that it was. But the real win was that they understood um, what it took to run a business, or at least they had a better idea than when they left and went freelance. And so... 
the company got the benefit of somebody who understood that, hey, I have to contribute to the bottom line. You know, the, the company is trying to do these kinds of things and expand in these ways. And, uh, you know, they need this kind of performance and this kind of work done in order to make it happen. And they could make meaningful contributions to the company, both in coding and in other ways, because they understood, you know, really what it takes to make a business success, a successful. Um, and I've also seen some of these guys move up into like CTO roles and things like that. And again, it's, it's the same thing. They're not just a technical expert, but they're a technical expert who can speak to the people that they're dealing with, the CEO, the other managers, the people below them, stuff like that, because they've had to develop those skills as a freelancer. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's strategy. It's, you know, the, if you're just doing just programming, you're basically doing day-to-day work. If you're doing management, it's tactical stuff. Like you might be planning out like a month in in advance, but if you have to run your own business, you really got to look at larger, big, larger picture things. Like how am I marketing? What's going to happen in winter? Is stuff going to dry up? And that's the more strategic things that C-level executives have to deal with constantly. And, you know, if you were running a company, you're doing freelance for a little bit and went back to full-time employment, like you'll have more of that than most employees. Um, and you can also just pick that up by just reading and actually kind of looking outside of the bubble of this is what I do every day. Like my wife's actually really good at the strategic stuff, even though she's never run a business. Yep. Are there any other topics that we should cover as part of this episode? One thing I want to say is we're both freelancers, so we're obviously biased. You know, it's it's always great to have new people do freelancing just because they might give us work, we might give them work, or at the very least, it's we can talk shop with them. But if you're comfortable and happy doing full-time employment, you don't have to leave it. I mean, you could stay there. That's not a, this isn't like a black and white, one thing's right, one thing's wrong thing. It's a, you got to look at yourself and figure out what you want. And another thing is you can also kind of moonlight. You can do freelancing on the side, you know, whether you have an ambition to turn it into a full-time thing or not, but you can get some good experience just from working a couple hours a week and kind of running a company. Yep, Absolutely. All right. Should we get into the picks? Sure. All right. Do you want to start us out? Yeah. So I didn't have one at the beginning, but based on the topic, I've thought of one. Um, it's a book called Free Agent Nation um, by Dan Pink. It's, I don't know how old it is. It looks like 2002-ish, but I read this, you know, a while ago, and it basically outlines a lot of things of like what he saw as far as kind of people leaving the big corporate workforces and working as freelancers or just solo entrepreneurs. And it's a bit dated now, but if you actually read it and know kind of the environment, you're going to see that a lot of the stuff he said in there actually came true and it actually is exactly how it is. One thing is like how, you know, Kinko's becomes the third home where everyone goes to Kinko's to use their printers and stuff instead of, you know, having an office or working for, you know, the big corporate headquarters. And, a lot of people do that. And a lot of people work at Starbucks and coffee shops and stuff now. And, you know, it's it's an interesting book. It's pretty easy to read. Um, you can probably get it used. Looks like there's a Kindle edition also, but I've, I'd highly recommend it. I think I've, I think I've bought two or three copies of it because I enjoyed it so much. Cool. All right. Well, I've got a couple of picks. Um, the first one is something I got for Christmas, and I've picked this on some of the other shows, but it is a power mat. And a power mat is one of those induction charge up your device kind of things. So you just, you have to have the power mat door is what they call it, but it's the adapter that sits, um, sits on the pad and then 
through inductance or whatever they call it. Um, magic. It, yeah, magic or magnetics. Um, it charges up your device. Um, you can get phone cases for most of the phones out there for the power mat. They don't have one for the iPhone 5, so I haven't charged that up, but I've charged up just about every other device I have off of the power mat. Um, and it, it's really super nice. I actually just ordered a couple more doors because my wife got me the the one that has three pads on it, and it only comes with one door. So um, anyway, I, I, I like it. I think it's really nice. It, and, um, you know, it's flexible enough to where I can just charge up whatever, and then I can just, you know, take the door off of the, whatever it is and then take it with me. So I've been doing that with my uh, Kodak ZI8 camera. I did it with my speaker. I have a Bluetooth speaker that just charges off of the, the wall outlet. I've done it with my iPod. Um, and a bunch of other devices. So I, I think it's a cool gizmo, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. The other pick that I have is something that um, I got at CES called Une Bobine, I guess. It looks French. U-N-E-B-O-B-I-N-E. It's basically a flexible stand for your iPhone or iPod. And what it is is it's got a sync cable in it. So you can charge your phone or charge your um, iPod or whatever because it has the 30-pin connector, um, which, again, won't work for my iPhone 5. Um, I've ordered a, uh, an adapter. Yeah, so, it's French for a coil. Yeah. But anyway, it's nice because you can just plug in your phone and then you can kind of position it wherever you want, and it's kind of cool. So I saw that at CES. They actually gave me a free one in full disclosure, um, and so I've been playing with it, and I've been really happy with it. So... Um, you can check that out. Um, the company that makes it is Fuse Chicken, and you can find them at FuseChicken.com. The other, the other thing, so anyway, so those are the two things I'm going to pick. Um, I've got a few other things to share, but I'm going to save them up for next week. So yeah, I don't think I have anything else. If you want to learn Ruby on Rails, I'm teaching a course in March. Um, it's basically a good way to get unlimited access to me uh, to help you learn Rails which is way cheaper than paying my coaching rate, which at this point is $150 an hour. So if you want to learn Rails, you want to have full access to me, you want to sit in on all the lessons and get uh, digital copies of them and all that stuff, then go to railsrampup.com. And uh, do you have anything you want to announce, Eric? No, but if someone signs up for that, can they heckle you live? Uh, I believe so, yes. That might be worth it just there. (laughs) Yeah, well, they'll be in on the call, so... I'm sure they can. Anyway, well, if that's it, then we'll wrap this up. We'll catch you all next week, and thank you for listening. All right, take care.